Philippians 1.6 is where we find ourselves today. And you know what we do continually? We find where we are in the word is where we are in the message we need to hear. Have you noticed that? I've had so many people, and it's happened to me a number of times, where I'll hear a message and I'll get in the car and I'll have a radio station and that's the message again. And then I'll look at a daily devotion. And that's the message again. It's like, oh, thank you, Lord, for washing us in the water of your word. And so you know that verse, being confident of this very thing. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let it be known, let it be said. The God who begins always completes. I, I, I literally was, I had 20 pages of notes on this because there's so many stories in the Bible. There's so many examples. We have 6,000 years of the history of God's nature who does not need to repeat himself but yet in this he does over and over again. The God who begins, completes. The God who starts, he finishes. And so for us, we need to break this verse down to have great amount of confidence. And I'm going to say it more than one time and more than one way. First of all, Paul says, being confident of this very thing. Why was he confident? He wasn't confident in them. Have you guys noticed <laughs> we're stumbling and falling and sinning regularly? Have you noticed that? But yet the righteous man falls seven times and God in the grace and his kindness and his mercy lifts us up six times. Is that the end of the story? No, he lifts us up seven times. Because every time we fall, God picks us up. Every time we sin, his grace abounds more. Because this is God's nature. When we are faithless, well, Christians aren't faithless. Sometimes we are. I'll tell you, more than once, I've tried to counsel a young couple who had their baby die. I have a friend of ours from early Calvary, San Diego, and I got to talk to him this year, but they were, had such a hard time getting pregnant, and, and they ended up moving back east, so I lost touch with them, but they finally had a miracle baby, and a few months in, the baby died, and they, they just could not wrap their hands around God letting that happen, and they walked away from God for 10 years, and during this COVID year, he heard a message that I preached, and it spurred his heart again, started walking with the Lord again. They did have a second baby um, a couple of years after that, another miracle baby. And, uh, but yet their hearts were hard. And so I, I, I know that we can be faithless, but when we are faithless, what happens? God remains faithful. This is what we discover over and over again, that he doesn't change. I love that where it says, he who calls us is faithful who also will do it. God's the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. 
Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights, who there is no variation or shadow of turning. Well, we look at this second part. We are confident in this very thing. He who has begun a good work. Do we know this? People often say, well, how do you know Christianity is the only right religion? There are so many unique things about Christianity, and then all religions of the world follow the same formula, and they're unlike Christianity. But in all the religions of the world, man is to be trying to reach God, and, and God is like going, get holier, pray longer, get your hair cut, and get beads, and crawl on your knees and, and beg more. And, and, and God sort of wants man, you know, out of guilt and fear, feeling like, man, I'm, I'm just not adding up. Forgive me, God. And, and they're like, oh, man, I hope I make it. I hope I get to heaven. Man, I just, and then on their deathbed, they're, they're, terror, they're in terror, thinking, no, as I'm looking at my life, I, I was more of a sinner than, than God will probably allow. Worried. This is not the case in Christianity. In Christianity, God seeks us. Isn't that awesome? Jesus said, I'm going out to find those who are sick. I'm out to seek and to save that which is lost. Remember the story there in Acts 16 about Philippi. Paul was going through Asia Minor where he thought he was going to preach. He had a really a great team with Silas and Luke. And, and he's going into Galatia. God said, no. Going into Matthew, no. He finally hits the ocean going, what do I do? <laughs> My plans are shot. And God comes to him in a vision and says, go across the ocean to Philippi. Is God seeking somebody in Philippi? Sure enough, Paul finds there's no... Jewish synagogues meeting, but he found the Jews down on the Sabbath day are meeting at the river, and Paul went down there, and he preached the gospel, and this girl, Lydia, I love this in Acts 16, it says, and God drew her heart to himself, that God grabbed Lydia and brought her unto himself through the message of Paul. Well, then the Lord arranged Paul to get beaten with rods and thrown into prison. Why? Because God was seeking out a jailer in that prison. And it was a great moment when he believed because the earthquake and all the prison doors, all the prisoners could run free. And Paul's chains in the dungeon there fell off. And, and this guy's like, oh, they'll torture me and kill me. And the Roman, if one soldier gets away, but all of them are going to get away. And he starts to kill himself, and Paul says, don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And he believed, and he went to his house and preached the gospel, and everybody in his house also got saved. Oh, I love that. Of course, we remember the story of the woman at the well, right? All the apostles are starving. They, they've been wanting this, you know, carne asada burrito in Samaria there. And, and Jesus said, you know, I'm not hungry. I've already ate. I, you guys go. I'm just going to sit here by this well. Knowing very well that there is a woman who was outcast. As Jesus awakened morning by morning and his father spoke to him, he spoke to him about this widow. 
And he said, this woman is rejected in her own community. She's been married five times before. And the man she's living with, number six, it's not her husband. And Jesus sits there and she comes out. Everybody else is gone. And you remember that story. He reaches out to her. And, and she says, you're a Jew and a man. And I can't believe you're talking to me. You're crossing so many cultural barriers here. And he said, if you knew who was asking you, you would ask him for a gift of eternal life. And he would give it to you. And of course, at the end of that story, great salvation happened not only to her, but the whole city. We see that God begun it. A matter of fact, there's not one person who is going to be in heaven that began it. <laughs> God began it. He's our husband. He's the one who proposes. You guys know that verse in 1 John 4.10. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us first. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You will not find such a verse in the Muslim teachings. You will not find such a verse in the Hindu preaching or the Buddhist preaching or the Mormon preaching or the Jehovah Witness preaching. And all those things, they're striving with all of these rules and regulation and rituals to, to be approved by God. But the focus in Christianity is God, the focus is God's love for you. Yes, you're loving him too, that's great, but that's not what begun it. And that's not what sustains it. The reason we're going to be in heaven is because of God's love towards us, not because of our love for him. Because our love for him wanes, doesn't it? Our love for him sort of depends on how we feel. Our love for him often is weak because of the sinfulness of our human flesh. But God's love never changes. And how did he reveal this love? By an action, by sending his only son to be the propitiation, that is the price, the blood sacrifice, to take away our sins. You guys also uh, remember in Jeremiah where he tells us, yes, I've loved you. The Lord has appeared of old, God throughout history, and he said, I've loved you with an everlasting love and with a loving kindness, I have drawn you. It tells us also the Holy Spirit is in the world, convicting every single person on the planet of their sin and of righteousness and of judgment, that they can be drawn to a Savior. They need a Savior. The Bible tells us that no one comes to the Father, or nobody comes unto Jesus unless the Father draws them. And he said, I'll raise them up on the last day. So nobody is going to be coming to Jesus as Savior unless the Father first drawn. And let me tell you, the Father's drawing all men. He's drawing all men to the Holy Spirit's in the world, convicting man. And of course, he's drawing all the world by sending his only begotten Son. In many other ways, through the Word, he's drawing men, through the testimony of other believers. All men are being drawn by the Father, but if they'll see God differently than all the other gods on this earth and see that 
you're not going to get in this religious grinder. You're not praying enough. You're not reading the Bible enough. You're not giving enough. You're not going to church enough. You're not living blah, 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 and you're just always grinding and finding yourself lacking and always finding yourself not doing enough and being enough and and, and God's always sort of disappointed, going, yeah, 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 you know, you're my child, I saved you, but man, I, this, this is just not working for This is so disappointing. I couldn't be further from the truth of Christianity. My kids screwed up a lot. <laughs> I don't think they were wondering if I was going to love them anymore or kick them out of the house or they could never ask anything from me unless they were real good. No, they, there was a relationship they, of a father they knew that I would love them no matter what they did or said or were. And again, I've been in human flesh. I've been a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old and a 20-year-old. I, I know what it's like. And so the same with Christ. He was in human flesh and went from zero all the way to 33 years old so he could be the great high priest that comforts us. 2 Timothy 1.9 who has saved us? Who has called us with this holy calling? Listen to this, guys. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That this salvation that we've been drawn into by the love of of the Son, by the love of the Father, by the love of the Holy Spirit, God drawing us unto the one Lord, our one God, who has always saw that man would eventually need a Savior and that he always had planned on dying and paying the price for our sins. He's always done it. So let's make it clear. He who began. You didn't begin it. So you don't have to keep it up. Isn't that great? And what did God begin? He gave us eternal life. He didn't give us the possibility of eternal life. He didn't say whoever believes in me might have eternal life. Possibly could not perish. Maybe we'll go to heaven. No. He makes it abundantly clear wherever you read. I'm giving you eternal life. Now think about this. If he says I give you eternal life... And then there's a possibility of it coming short. He never really gave you eternal life, did he? Because the whole point of eternal life is you have to be in heaven in a new body for eternity. Right? If we're not in our new body in heaven for eternity, it's not eternal life. Oh, I had eternal life for a couple of years. It just doesn't work, does it? I had eternal life till I really started struggling in my mid-40s and then don't have eternal life anymore. Well, you never had it to begin with. Jesus could have, it would have been a wonderful message to say, whoever believes in me, I'll put you on a track towards the graduation day of eternal life, but you've got to study hard and pass all the tests to get there. We would have thought, that's great, because I was on a path of destruction, and now I'm on a path of eternal life, and are we, are we going to go? We'd say, well, I don't know. I mean, it depends on how well I perform along the way. See, that's the way a lot of people look at Christianity, because that's
all the rest of the religions in the world work. Christianity is completely unique in that God begins it and then God sustains it. He who began it, he's the one who's going to get us one week into it, 10 years into it, a lifetime into it, breathing our last. This is why this verse is so very important. I am confident as everything you began this good work. Now I need to isolate just simply two words. In you. We often look in the mirror going, that guy in the mirror is not very holy. That guy in the mirror, unless you're a girl, then you say I'm that girl in the mirror. Can't be righteous. That person in the mirror can't be going to heaven. Because that guy gets angry and lustful and greedy and irritable and downright mean. And, and well, you're right. Paul says in Romans 7, that which is happening in my flesh completely contradicts what's happening in my spirit. So I need to separate the two. Because in me, there's a perfect righteousness that always wants the will of God, but in this flesh. So that's why he says here, when the Bible says he began a good, a new thing in you, he is not talking about outwardly, you know? He's talking inwardly. You get born again, the next day you still have the same bills, <laughs> the same job. Not everything becomes new on the outside in this earth. No, everything internally becomes new in you. The greatest work God is doing on planet earth right now is not through you. It's in you. The greatest work that I'm doing is not preaching this sermon. The greatest work I'm doing is when I seek the Lord and love the Lord and desire to live according to his glory. That's something that's in my inner man. 2 Corinthians 4.16 tells us that we shouldn't lose heart even though this outward man is perishing. Do I get an amen on that? Some of you really old people, amen? The outward man's perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. He goes on to tell us the Holy Spirit is bringing us into God's very glory from glory to glory to glory until we're finally going to breathe our last and we'll be glorious as God is glorious. In Ephesians 3, 16, he strengthens us through his spirit in the inner man. It's God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure, he tells us in Philippians 2.13. What a great verse. God is working in you. Well, hold it. Okay, God started this thing. He led me to himself to see I needed a savior. The Holy Spirit showed me I was a sinner and I need to be righteous and I'm not and there's a judgment to come. And, and I, I need a savior. I came to the savior. Well, he came to you first. He sought out all the sick. He, he went, he left the 99 and went and found the one that was lost. He sought it out. He's the one who began this relationship. And, and so I need to realize now it's him who's working in you. And we often, again, look at this and go, God's working in me, but he's so disappointed and I'm exhausting him. I think I could throw a little bit in there and help every once in a while. He's trying to make me holy, and I'm living so unholy. 
He's trying to help me to get in the word and I fight it and I don't get in the word. He's trying to get me to church and I fight it and kick it until I finally don't go to church. Man, don't, don't you think I could help out a little bit? You know, but I don't. I'm, I'm hindering everything. It's just not true, guys. There's no good thing that dwells in our flesh. Things I don't want to do, I do. Things I do want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. But God never stops working. He is at work in you. Not on the outer man to make you rich on this planet Earth, to make you healthy on this planet Earth. But he's working a work in the spirit in the inner man. And he's doing it to help us to will. Boy, do we need, does God know what we need or what? He's working in us both to will and to do. Boy, I, I need that help often on the first part, don't you? Lord, I'm willing, but help my unwillingness. <laughs> and to do, and, and guess what? He doesn't break a sweat. It's according to his good pleasure. Raising kids, there's so much work. Especially when they're one, two, and three, and you got to change those poopy diapers and and they're tearing everything up, and they're ripping it. They're, they're constant, just little self-destructive beings, you know. They're exhausting you, but yet at the same time, there's no more fun than it is when kids are young like that, right? Little kids running around so precious. That's the way God looks at you. But I'm, I'm six years old. It doesn't matter. He still sees you as that precious little one that he drew to himself, that he paid for your sins on the cross. And it's of his good pleasure that he picks you up when you fall. <laughs> he dusts you off and puts a bandaid on your knee and gives you a hug and sends you on out to play. We are his workmanship, his good pleasure. He's making us into this great work of art. And finally, we see here in verse 6, I'm confident this very thing you began this good work in you will, what? Complete it. You see, God has said the salvation he's giving us is not just a starting, but is a completing. So when the Lord says, he who believes in me, I give everlasting life, the very definition of it is there has to be a completion equally to the starting. Right? I mean, the, the whole point, if you really want to talk about it, eternal life really is all about the completing. Isn't it? Whoever believes in me, I give eternal life. Isn't it really more about the completing of it? Really gives it the definition? He could have said, who believes in me, you'll have a better quality of life on earth than you do right now. And you know, that's sort of true, sort of not true. Right now in India, it keeps going up. It was like, uh, a couple of years back, it was like the 16th most persecuted country in the world. Then it rose up to ninth right after Iran. And now it's even equal or in front of Iran. I don't know if you saw what happened over Christmas, but the, these zealot Hindus are going in and destroying every Christmas thing the Christians are putting up and burning their houses down and even killing them. So being a Christian isn't always a great thing. I don't know if you, you saw it here in our, in our country. This last week, some people were getting baptized 
And a group of young people showed up and started throwing rocks at them while they were getting baptized. It was in Seattle area. Until they left because they were getting injured, singing praise songs and getting baptized. Yeah, it's, it doesn't always work on earth that we will prosper. So really when he said, I give you eternal life, it's all about the ending. It's all about being in our new bodies in heaven. That's why he didn't just say life or better life, but he said eternal life. Look at Hebrews 13, if you would. Verse 21, so we're going to concentrate, but to get the context, we've got to read verse 20. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. Working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Look at the part, first part of verse 21. Make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you. On this earth, God is at work completing that work that he wants to do in us. And then we know that Satan is trying to wreck that, but no weapon formed against us will prosper. Everything that comes against us, God will turn around for good. And in Romans 8, 29 and 30, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also what? glorified. That's us in heaven. It's in the past tense. If you were born again, you were called. You were predestined. You were called. Then you are glorified now. He says it in the past tense. That's why we say we're born again. We're really not born again. Born again is being in our brand new bodies in heaven. But to say I'm in the reborn process, it's demeaning to God and his promises. It's saying we've got to wait, to wait into the future to see if God's really going to be faithful to his promise. It's demeaning. That's why we say God says it's already done. Ephesians 2, he already sees us seated together with him in heavenly places. It's already a done deal. So therefore, we say we're born again. It's a done deal. We're already born into that kingdom, even though we're in the human body It's already a completed work. If he started it, he completed it. So let's just say it plainly. Within the nature of God, because he's eternal, he sees the past, present, and future equally. It's just outside of his nature to start something and not be able to finish it. Do you you understand it? Because God's eternal. He sees the end How could he ever start something without completing it? It's impossible because he's an internal being. Jesus actually makes fun of people in the Gospels. Remember that? He said, I'll tell you who's foolish. It's a guy who doesn't sit down and add up how much money and how much it will cost to build the house. He just starts building it. And then he runs out of money and he got a half-built house. Yeah, that's a foolish guy. He should have first sat down 
and did the full calculations, can I get to the very end? Jesus also said it'd be foolish for a general to get up and go run to war, not counting how many people he has and how many people they have, and to realize their army's 10 times size of ours. Hey, I don't want to make this war. I'm not going to go to war because we'll lose. Why, Why start? So within the very nature of God, it's impossible for him to not see the ending of whatever he starts. So why would he start something that he doesn't already have seen in his eternal mind it completed? Shouldn't that be great comforting to us that we're saved by God, the eternal being? Well, then we come to the end of this. Being confident of this very thing, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I love this. This is never going to stop this faithful, powerful work of God until one way or another you're face to face with Jesus. Now, we could be face to face with Jesus in the rapture, right? He comes down, it says, in the clouds, and everybody uh, uh, that's already passed away gets their new body. They've already been with the Lord in spirit, but now they get their new body. But then we get, our new, we get a brand new body at the same time as everybody else in this rapture, and we are with the Lord in the clouds. We're with Jesus. We, we're not rapturing arbitrarily up in the space going, whoa, you know. No, it's right to Jesus. Or we die. The Bible says that we awaken with Christ. We awaken in his presence. So when we die and we breathe in our last, and it's a bit of a struggle, when we awaken, Jesus is there putting his fingers across their cheeks. Awaken, my love. Arise. And the first thing we see is not the glories of heaven. It's just the face of Jesus Christ. This work of God is started by God. It's by the power of God. And it will not end until we are face to face with Jesus one way or another. How many times does the Lord have to tell us? How many ways? The very end of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I like that, to the end of the age or the end of seeing Jesus in Hebrews 13, 5, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. David, right after he sinned with Bathsheba, and, man, he thought he was finished with God. He committed adultery and murdered and the baby died. It was just one big mess after another. But God came and revealed to him that he's a shepherd. The shepherd has 100 responsibility over the sheep, huh? And he said, Surely, uh, David said, I've learned this about God, that his goodness and mercies will follow me. How many days? All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord, what? Forever. Not I might, not I hope. I have a good possibility if God completes it, if God does what he says, if God follows through. We got to wait to see that. He doesn't say that, does he? He goes, it's already done because it's God. 
He started it. He's working on it. It's him doing it. It's his great joy and pleasure to be doing this. And he's already seen us seated together in heavenly places. He's already seen us completed in him in heaven. So Paul was confident concerning the believers in the Philippi. Why? Now, I just want to take a moment to remind you of what Paul says in Philippians 3. He said, if there's ever been a human being on earth who can be confident in their flesh, it would be me. And he gives this long list how he's not just a Jew, but of the tribe of Benjamin. He wasn't just a Pharisee, but a Pharisee of Pharisees. And as the Pharisees interpret the law of keeping the law perfect. If there's a man that could be confident in a human flesh of a man, Paul said it would be in myself. And I have no confidence in my flesh. (laughs) Zero confidence, he said, I have in my flesh. So he wasn't looking at the Philippians and saying, oh, because you've been faithful in the past, I'm confident God's going to do it in the future. Or because you connected with me in the gospel. Or because we had such a good time in Philippi. Or because when I was with you, I saw a great commitment in you. And and therefore, I have this confidence. Because we're going to look at the verses around this, and it sort of implies that. And And I've seen and heard people say, oh, Paul was confident God's going to complete the work because of the way they were committed to Paul while he was in prison and such strong believers when he would. No, Paul had no confidence in flesh, of anybody's flesh. He was confident because of God, period. So we sort of touched on this, but quickly let's just go through a list that as I have thought about this through the years and, and actually never taught singularly upon this verse, and I've noticed that many other pastors haven't either. First of all, because God is faithful. You know that verse, 2 Timothy 2.13. He is faithful. We are faithless. He remains faithful. He can't deny himself. First Thessalonians 5.24. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Remember, secondly, God will never let us go. Remember that where Jesus says, I'm the shepherd, my sheep. Are you guys who believe in me, who listen to me and come unto me? And he says, I give them, and John 10, 28, I give them eternal life. They shall, what? Never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, it's my gift. He's greater than all. And no one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And by the way, there's only one God. I and the Father are one. So he, he makes it clear, emphatically, I give them eternal life. And what's our very first thought? But <laughs> you don't understand, Jesus, I'll screw it up. I've screwed up everything. I, I've, I, I try not to, but I, I end up spoiling almost every relationship. I almost constantly struggle with the simplest of things. And, and, and you know, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say and I give them eternal life until they screw it up. I give them eternal life until they prove they were worthless and unworthy of it, and then I snatched it away from them. How many times have you screwed it up? Well, you mean today? Four or five. Of course, this is a good day. I was coming to church. That's all I did. How many times did you not walk worthy as a believer should walk? 
If God were to say anything, I mean, he did say it to Adam and Eve. This is yours unless you eat fruit off that tree. You know how simple of a thing? I got 13 billion trees. I can stay away from that tree. No problem. And I'm not in a sinful body. Adam and Eve weren't in sinful bodies. I mean, they had a huge advantage on us, didn't they? And they screwed it up. What are the odds now of us being in sinful bodies? And it's not one simple law. It's 613 laws. If you want to look at all the laws God gives Israel, believe me, if there's one little thing he was to give us, we would screw it up. So do you think he's going to let you screw it up? No, he's not letting it be in your hands. He'll never let us go. The next thing is, it's a gift. You guys know about gifts. We just had Christmas. A gift, you don't do something to get a gift. If I give you a $50 gift going, yeah, here, here it is. Would you, mind, would you mind paying me back? It's not a gift. Well, just give me $10. It's not a gift. Well, did you get me something? No. Oh, then I'm not going to give it to you. It's not a gift, right? There can be no strings attached. It's not a gift. And this is what we need to understand. Salvation is a gift. We don't earn it. We're, we're, it's not, we're not saved by ourselves. We're not saved of our works. I, I love the fact that Ephesians 2, 8, 9 has both of those things. Because we can often say, yeah, I get it. It's not by my religious works. I can turn that one off. But it is intrinsically, I should be getting more obedient as the years go by. I should be getting a deeper sense of honor and holiness and commitment. That, that, that should be happening as the years go by. And here I've been a Christian 20 years, and I really don't know if that pendulum has really moved that much. Guys, we, we, we ebb and flow. Our life is a roller coaster of doing great and doing horrible, doing great, doing horrible, till the day we die. In Romans, it tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans eleven twenty nine says that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, unchangeable. Once God gives a gift, you can never take it back. And I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The next thing is salvation is not kept by us or our power, but it's kept by the power of God. Let's read together 1, Timothy, or 1 Peter 1, verse 3 through 5. Again, the, the focus is, is on verse um, 4. Actually, excuse me, 3 and 4. The focus is on verse 4 and 5. But let's read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy, who has begotten us. He's the one who caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, here it is, incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice this salvation is kept by the power of God. And notice it's incorruptible. It's undefiable. undefiable. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you and kept 
not by you or yourself or your good works. It's kept by the power of God. The next thing I want to look at is why we know God's going to complete this good work in us. Because it's the will of the Father. I love that. We who believe would be kept by God until the end. And it's the will of the Father that we're kept to the end. Look in, in John 6, 39. This is the will of the Father. What's the will of the Father? That all he has given me, I should lose nothing. But should raise it up when? At the last day. Do we hear this? This is the Father's will, that he would lose nothing. The weakest Christian is going to be in heaven. The most carnal Christian is going to be in heaven. The most struggling Christian is going to be in heaven. Bible tells us that the rewards aren't equal. He tells us that there's some people that have no rewards in heaven, but they will be in heaven. In John 6, 40, the very next verse, this is the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And when does it end? I will raise him up at the what? Last day. This thing that the Father desires the Son to do, bringing salvation to man, when the Son brings this salvation to man, it's the will of the Father that Jesus would complete the work and he would be the one at the very end of the story raising him up, seeing Jesus. Whether he's raising us up after we die, looking upon his face, or it's in the last of the days when we're raptured. John 6, 37, going back a couple of verses, and the, all that the Father gives me, how many? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by what? No means cast out. Does Jesus know us or what? <laughs> Is that, I, I, you know, I, I've seen Christians, new Christians going, I think he's going to cast me out. I really screwed up this time. He's going to cast me out. He's going he's gonna to look at me and go, you know what? I've never done this in the last 2,000 years, but I'm rejecting you. You're, you're, you're a special case of, of, of messed up people. I'm not taking you to heaven. No way. You, you've, you've messed it up. I, I haven't done this to anybody else, but I'm doing it to you. It's amazing how Satan wants to condemn us. Our own hearts want to condemn us. But the Lord will never cast us out. The final reason we should all be confident that God will complete this work in us. And I wish I had more time to go into this in detail. But it's the argument that God makes from greater to lesser. And in short, look at Romans 5, verse 6 and 7. This is us before we believed. We were still without strength. Do you know what that means? It means we had no ability to be convicted of our sin. No ability to give a rip about God or church or the Bible. When I, I, I saw this the first time when I was in high school. There were guys that were talking about their conquest, having, you know, some of these guys were senior football players. They were having sex with these freshman girls on a Friday night. And they would even talk about how they were crying when they left them and and they were just laughing and slapping each other on the back. And I was just 
I mean, it sounded, it sounded like hell to me. But they, rejo- they were rejoicing in their conquest with no care about the damage they're doing to these young girls or the offense to God. And then I thought about it. Yeah, I, I think I, there was definitely a time I was completely indifferent. I couldn't care what God thought. I had no ability to feel bad about it, even if I wanted to. That was us. We were without strength. Next, he tells us in Romans 5, 6, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us while we were what? Still sinners. Christ died for us. Now look at verse 9. So much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we should be saved from the wrath through him. Verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of the Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He says here, when we were without strength, when we were still sinners, and even when we were enemies of God, He still died on the cross for us, paid for our sins, even though we were wretchedly sinners and enemies of God. He's saying, you're never going to be worse than you were before you got born again. And if God still loved you in that horrible, enemy, sinful, wretched state, now that you're born again, you're still in that wretched body, (laughs) but you're never that horrible again. So in essence, he's saying, how much more now, after being born again, you struggle with your flesh, you struggle with your faith, you struggle with sin. He says, he saved you when you were the worst of the worst of the worst. Why would he not now save you in the process? Why would he now come short of continually forgiving you? So if he he loved you and saved you in such a horrible state, why would he not love you and continue loving you through a horrible state you're in now. He tells us at ending in, in Romans 5.11, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. We're reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, his death taking all our sins upon him, and his blood being shed that our sins would be taken away. We are reconciled to God And we can rejoice right now because it's a finished work of God. Well, you guys know that passage in Romans 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? The most powerful person in all of creation loves us. He saved us. Who has the power to undo it? Nobody, man, demon, nobody does. The second question of Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do you you understand this? That God loved you. You were an enemy, you were sinners. He still loved you and paid for your sins in advance, even though you were a horrible, wicked person. And then Jesus now His Holy Spirit comes into your life. The blood of this sacrifice is taking your sins away. But three years down the road, God says, forget them. Send them to hell. 
Where would the logic be in God? You, you see what I'm saying? It would be like my son pushing a drunk out of the way of a car and this wino gets up and he's like, whoa, somebody just died because of me. And, and, he, and he straightens up for a little while. He quits drinking, but then he becomes horrible. And so I murder him. What, what would be the sense if I were God and saw the whole thing? It wouldn't make sense. For, for Jesus to be in heaven for eternity and hundreds of thousands, millions of us not being there, how does that serve him? How, how does that benefit him? Do you see how foolish that would be? So this is what he is saying, is that if he started it, you were in your worst state, there's never going to be anything in the present or future that's going to be greater than what God already did in Christ. So whatever your sin is, he already forgave all of your sins. So now you want him to forgive this specific sin. Okay, he forgives. Is he going to say, well, I paid for all your sins on the cross, but I'm not going to forgive your sin now. Do you understand the illogic of that? He's trying to say there's a greater to lesser proportion that should give us a great confidence. In Romans 8.33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Do you realize there's only one judge, God? And that one judge has said, you're innocent. The one judge said, you're not going to be judged and condemned. So does it matter that somebody else says, we are to be judged? We are to be condemned? There's only one judge we're going to stand before, and he says you're innocent without guilt, and that is without for eternity. In Romans 8.34, who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died, who furthermore is risen, even at the right hand of God, who what? Makes intercessions for us. In Hebrews, it says he ever lives to make intercessions for us. So not only is God not condemning you, <laughs> Jesus is passionately our number one supporter. <laughs> and he's at the right hand of the Father. So the only one who could judge <laughs> his son is our number one supporter, sits at the right hand of the Father, who paid for all of our sins. Do you, do you understand? How could we lose? How could this thing fold up and, and end up backfiring or, or this machinery fall apart and it doesn't work for us at the end? Well, finally there in Romans 8.35, and he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is there anybody, guys? Romans 8.37-39, Yet all these things we are more than conquerors. Why? Because of him who loved us. It goes all the way back. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor what? things to come, nor height, no matter how high, no matter how deep, nor anything created, spiritual entities, human entities, nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All of you who have believed in the Lord and listened to this message, be comforted. I love 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. In Deuteronomy 31.8, And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. 
He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Don't tell me what I'm thinking about you. I'll tell you what I'm thinking about you. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Finally, Luke 12, 32. Do not fear, O little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Lord, thank you for knowing your truth and your truth would set us free that we would be grounded in solid, truthful doctrine concerning you who never changes, concerning you who loved us first, concerning you why we were enemies and evil and wicked, sinful people. You loved us still. You died for our sins even when we were your enemies. You rose again paying for all of our sins even when we were, could care less. But yet the Holy Spirit convicted us. The love of the Father got through to us. The reality of the Son being our Messiah, our Savior, that truth of the gospel came to us and we believed. And now by your faithfulness, by your, according to all your promises, according to your word, we shall never perish, but we shall have everlasting life. And everything in between now and seeing you, Jesus, face to face is going from victory to victory, glory to greater glory, because you're at work in us. Even when our outward man is perishing, sinning, struggling, faithless, even when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, our eyes upon you, the unchangeable God who loves us, who did the work of Christ, which was an eternal work. And you see us all the way to the end. Those that you have justified, you will glorify. You've seen us seated together with you in heavenly places. That whatever goes on, nothing will ever get us out of your hand. Nothing will ever shake your love for us. And we come as your sheep. We're just dumb sheep. We're just dumb sheep trying to jump over the fence we shouldn't jump over, trying to get, eat grass that is poisonous. Lord, help us to be the sheep at your hills. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But shepherd, you got the responsibility. Jesus, we come to you. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.